Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at transfer fees, how they've risen steeply in the world's big leagues over the last few years, and whether COVID-19 is going to end this transfer inflation. Now, the biggest deal for an African player is Nicolas Pepe last August, the Ivorian moving from Lille to Arsenal for around $88 million, and Neymar's €222 million Euro move to Paris Saint-Germain is the record. But back in 1979, there was great excitement when Trevor Francis became Britain's first one million pound player. We speak to him. At the time, everyone was fascinated by the million pound transfer and still are. More from Trevor Francis later, plus a listener's thoughts on lessons that we're learning during the coronavirus pandemic. And Stuart has some great statistics as the Bundesliga resumed in empty stadiums. Only one home win and less dribbling from the players. But first, Burundi became the first African nation to resume matches in their local league with a catch-up fixture between Musangati and Atletico Olympic on Thursday. Burundi was the only African country that played on during the COVID-19 pandemic, but they halted their league six weeks ago in the build-up to elections, which were held on Wednesday. The next full round of league games will be next weekend, with fans set to have their temperature checked before they're allowed into the stadium and other sanitising methods put in place. The Tanzania Premier League could return on the 15th of next month, but the Uganda Football Association has decided to abandon the season, with Vipers SC declared champions with five games to go. Other countries too have called off their season, while many others are still waiting and hoping for a return if things work out. So we keep on following the situation here on Planet Sport Football Africa. So today we're focusing on transfer fees, how they've risen steeply in the world's big leagues over the last few years, and whether COVID-19 is going to end the transfer inflation. The biggest deal for an African player is Nicolas Pepe last August. The Ivorian moved from Lille to Arsenal for around $88 million. DR Congo striker Cedric Bakambu moved to Beijing Guan in China from Villarreal in Spain for $83 million. That's the second highest figure, but it was inflated, though, by tax penalties. Algeria's Riyad Mahrez went from Leicester to Man City for $73 million. Then we have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to Arsenal, Naby Keita to Liverpool. So Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah are not even in the top five, showing how the transfer fees have been going up year by year. Now, back in 1979, Trevor Francis became Britain's first £1 million player following his transfer from Birmingham City to Nottingham Forest. Francis, a striker, won the European Cup twice with Forest. He played 52 times for England. Well, that £1 million fee looks so small now, but that was 41 years ago, and things have changed. Now, Stuart met up with Francis last year and asked him about that historic achievement and also his favourite players of this era. I think that I will always be known as the first million-pound footballer. Every sporting event function that I go to, I'm always announced as we've got with us the first million-pound footballer, Trevor Francis. Um, I have to say that it created greater excitement and greater interest than any of the modern day transfers. If you ask me a question now, for example, 
what is the current record transfer fee, my answer would be it would be around 150 million. I don't know if that's correct or not, but at the time, everyone was fascinated by the million-pound transfer, and still are. Well, I think that um, I'm very, very fortunate, and not just me, but football followers in general, that we're in an era where we're seeing two phenomenons in Ronaldo and Messi. You know, those are two exceptional talents that will be up there in the top two or three of greatest players there's ever been. You know, I played against Maradona, you know, in Italy on, on two or three occasions, and I never ever thought, having watched him close quarters, there would be anyone to, to touch Maradona. Now, things have changed in football. You know, the refereeing interpretation, you know, the foul. I mean, players are protected far greater today, and the surfaces are so much better, and, you know, Messi's in a great Barcelona team, and, but the two of them are incredible talents. I absolutely love watching them. That's Trevor Francis. Uh, back in 1979, he became Britain's first £1 million player. Uh, so the record in English football is now £105 million. That's for Felipe Coutinho's move from Liverpool to Barcelona two years ago. Uh, the biggest in the world is the €222 million Euros that Paris Saint-Germain paid Barcelona for Neymar in 2017. That's around US$242 million US dollars at the current rate. It's uh, simply staggering, isn't it? Stuart. Absolutely amazing, Steve. You know, one memorable thing that Trevor Francis said to me when we spoke last year was he asked me if I realised that football, in fact, had only been invented in 1992. He said that it was Sky Television, the broadcaster, and the Premier League who had invented football. The point, of course, he was making is that football changed out of all recognition with the arrival of the Premier League. We had live games on television, commonplace for the first time, and that led to jaw-dropping TV contracts, the current one being worth $4 billion. Clubs, which had previously been owned by the community or by a local businessman, were being bought by foreign investors. You ask, how could PSG manage to pay that astronomical sum for Neymar? Well, the answer is quite simply that the club is owned by the Qatari ruling family through their company, Qatar Sports Investments. And before that, we had Roman Abramovich buying Chelsea and reportedly offering to double the wages of any player he wanted to sign. So when you have billionaire owners who want a club to be successful and who are not concerned about balancing the books and enormous TV contracts, big transfers like that are possible. Now, I was having a look at some of the big transfers we've seen in the Premier League. Manchester United signed Paul Pogba for something around $100 million. Virgil van Dijk cost Liverpool $90 million, as did Kepa when Chelsea signed him as their new goalkeeper. Romelu Lukaku went from Everton to Manchester United for $90 million. Similarly, Alvaro Morata that's what Chelsea paid Real Madrid for him. And we've talked about Nicolas Pepe, who signed for Arsenal last year for about $88 million. Alison Becker, $82 million when Liverpool bought him from Roma. Rodri, Manchester City paid $80 million for him. Fred cost Manchester United $76 million from Shakhtar Donetsk. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That was a 73 million price for Arsenal. Riyad Mahrez, 73 million 
Manchester City from Leicester. Angel Di Maria, 73 million Real Madrid to Manchester United. Laporte, Bilbao to Manchester City, again 70 million. And then last season, we saw Tottenham pay Lyon $68 million for Dembele. And Gilfie Sigerson was a 56 million acquisition by Everton from Swansea. Now, when you look at that list, you can see some absolutely excellent signings. Virgil van Dijk and Alison Becker transformed Liverpool from being a good team into the best team in England. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been outstanding for Arsenal. On the other hand, you'd have to say that Angel de Maria was a major disappointment at Manchester United and was sold for a lot less than the club had paid for him. Romelu Lukaku was moderately successful at Manchester United, but he again was sold last summer for a lot less than United paid for him. And while Fred is now playing well at Old Trafford, it's taken him quite some time to establish himself. So my conclusion is that the Premier League has certainly led to some really inflated transfer fees, but not all of the transfers have actually been that successful. Well, some crazy sums, and we've especially seen ridiculous figures paid as we approach transfer deadline day, as some clubs have seemed desperate. And now, with uh, how COVID-19 is affecting the economy around the world, will this stop the transfer inflation or even see a decline in transfer fees, Stuart? I think without any doubt, we will see a drop in transfer activity for the foreseeable future. You know, we mentioned Manchester United paying $100 million for Paul Pogba. The player's agent has made no secret of Pogba's desire to move to Spain or Italy this summer. But I've read that the transfer fee is much more likely to be around $70 million than the $100 million that Manchester United originally paid. That's an indication of where transfer fees are going. Because, you see, the big clubs in Europe like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, the Milan clubs, have all suffered significant financial losses over the past few months and are unlikely to be able to afford the big money transfers that we've seen in the past. And similarly, star players who are on good contracts may find that clubs want to buy them, but are unable or unwilling to match the current salary. So I would not be at all surprised if the summer 2020 transfer window was relatively quiet. Yes, it does look likely. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, well, in Africa, you'd rarely get a transfer of over a million dollars. Uh, that would be at a top North African club, perhaps. Well, in our part of the world, a big domestic transfer would maybe be around $20,000. Um, Ida, when you look at the transfer fees in Europe and compare with those in Africa, how do you feel? Well, it's just but another reflection of everything else on the ground, wouldn't you say, Steve? I mean, the infrastructure, you know, organization, or in some instances, the lack of organization. I mean, such things are already so wanting within the continent. So transfers really won't be any different. And, you know, I was talking to a player who made the switch from Kenya to Angola recently. Now, his move was estimated to be worth around $300,000. And that was big, big news on this side. And I think that says something. Um, and another thing, Steve, you know, even the data surrounding transfers within Africa isn't as readily available as compared to other parts of the world. But at least 
thanks to Nuhu Adams from Ghana, um, we do have something that we can work with. And um, I will want to focus on the most expensive moves. So the most expensive switch in the continent was uh, goalkeeper Ahmed El Shenawi. Now, he joined Pyramids FC from Egyptian giants Zamalek, and that was for 2.7 million euros. Now, let's compare that with the most expensive transfer of all time, naturally, came from Europe. And uh, that was in 2017. And that was Neymar moving to PSG from Barcelona for 222 million. Steve, that is over 80 times the amount of the highest transfer within Africa. But definitely within the continent, I mean, Pyramids of Sea has really come out in uh, the last few years, you know, to be the, um, the money bags FC, <laughs> if you will, um, because of the top 10 most expensive transfers within the continent, they have four. But, you know, it never really is as straightforward as it seems. I mean, a lot goes into, you know, some of these situations. For example, TV rights, so many more variables. They go into determining the economy of different leagues. And this in turn, Steve, goes into how much a player can fetch in the market. Yeah, sure. It's such a contrast between Africa and Europe. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. On Twitter, we are at Planet Sport FA. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs, too, in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen to the show, too, on our New Look website. That's planetsport.tv. And you can read interviews with various sports stars there, including Sierra Leone's Umaru Bangura, Ghana's Christian Achu, and Zambia's Patson Daka. Well, now, while we're all affected by the coronavirus in some way, and while life has changed for most of us, we're making sure that Planet Sport Football Africa gives you plenty of entertainment every week to lift your spirits. And we're going into our archive now and then. We're taking you back to the 2012 Olympics this week. I was there in London with the Passion for Sport team, getting to watch some of the action and also to see some of the sights and sounds of London. I got to see a very famous palace. I'm outside the official residence of the Queen of England, Buckingham Palace. The public are free to come and take a look across at the palace, which is a splendid building that became the official residence of the British monarch in 1837. The core of the palace was built in 1705. It's made from blocks of white Portland stone and is rectangular shaped with three floors, lots of pillars. I'm standing behind a a long black iron fence with golden emblems on it and just 50 metres away from the building itself where there are grenadier soldiers in uh, red jackets and their strange and famous black furry hats. They stand motionless for most of the day. They just won't move. Buckingham Palace has 775 rooms, including 19 state rooms, 52 royal and guest bedrooms, 188 staff bedrooms, 92 offices and 78 bathrooms. And there are more than 40,000 light bulbs used in the building. It's 108 metres across, 120 metres wide and has 800 members of staff working inside. Part of the palace is open to the public for a few weeks of the year, but not today, and 
I don't think I'm likely to be invited in for tea today. A flag always flies over the palace, and when the Queen is in residence, it's the royal standard. Otherwise, it's the Union flag, so that tells us that Her Majesty is not in today. There are over 350 clocks and watches in the palace, and two people have full-time jobs winding them up every week and checking that they're working okay. Despite the security here, in 1982, Michael Fagan famously broke into the palace twice and even held a conversation with the Queen on one of those occasions. He was taken out by palace police and the Queen was unharmed. Buckingham Palace has a garden of 40 acres, making it the largest private garden in London with a helicopter landing area, a lake and a tennis court. And in June of this year, when it was the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, a concert was held here. Artists included Paul McCartney, Elton John and Kylie Minogue. And a million people gathered here at Buckingham Palace to cheer the Queen at the climax of her four-day Jubilee celebrations. Well, that was a great experience uh, from our archive back in 2012 during the London Olympics. I got to see some of the sights and sounds. Uh, that was a trip to Buckingham Palace. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, let's go to social media. And last week we asked, what lessons have you learned from the coronavirus pandemic? We heard from Nigeria striker Odion Igalo, who told us that he's learned about humility during this time of COVID-19. He agreed with others that the virus doesn't discriminate between rich or poor. And he told us that no matter your position in life, there's something that can humble you to sit down in one place and you won't be able to move for a month. So last week we asked her, what lessons have you learned? Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Well, thanks then, Steve. And we'll start today with Ronald B. Yanate in The Gambia, who says, the lesson I've learned from this lockdown due to the COVID-19 is that we are all equal, no matter of your nationality, and we should all strive as a unit to conquer our problems. One people, one world, one God, says Ronald. Jemo is originally from Cameroon and now living in the United States. Seeing people work together is another lesson I'm taking from this pandemic, says Jemo. It shows that we can't do life alone. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. And Jemo adds, be safe, Planet Sport Football Africa team. Well, thank you for that to Jemo. That's very kind. Yes, we're all safe and well, thank you. And it's our prayer also for all of our listeners and their families that they'll keep safe and well too. Caroline Matope is in Kenya. I've learned that the virus kills faster than the bacteria, says Caroline. It has no friendliness. It kills all kinds of people, black or white, rich or poor, Christian or others, regardless of their faith. And Ebrima in the Gambia agrees. The lessons are that in this world we are all equal, and in one way or another we always need each other, despite us living in different continents and countries and having a different skin colour. We always need each other, says Ebrima. To Malawi now, and Blessings Nyarenda says... For the sake of my country, Malawi, I've learned that football is the mega entertainment of all time. Since there's been no football due to COVID-19, people have had nothing to get entertained with. Let us hold hands and fight together against COVID-19 and bring back football, says Blessings. And staying in Malawi, sadly Moses there has been having a tough time. There is a time for everything, says Moses, losing a job and starting a new one. Dying and being born, crying and laughing. 
I am a victim of COVID-19. I've lost my job as donors have pulled out. So much to face in such a short time. At the same time, I've learnt that God cares for me no matter what. He said, don't worry, for I care. If I look after birds and flowers that don't labour, how can I not care? I have seen God's goodness through this pandemic, says Moses. And Medlove in the Gambia has also learned lessons from his faith. I have learned that the Almighty Lord is speaking to us that we should reference him in worship and trust him as the creator of this universe. I've also learned that God is no respecter of persons, whether young or old, poor or rich, as the coronavirus kills everyone. We must love one another and produce the spirit of love, humility and compassion, says Medlove. Emma, in Ghana, says, I've learned to have respect for my health and for that of others. And also in Ghana, Dela Akafia says, I have learned that nothing happens without a reason, and that this pandemic came at the right time to enable us to reorder our steps and know that love is the greatest thing. I have also learned that my faith in God has kept increasing to the extent that I have never been afraid of the pandemic and the fear it spreads all around. Muno John is in Zambia. Number one, the virus has come to stay, says John. Secondly, it doesn't discriminate against anyone regardless of your status in society. And thirdly, we need to be more responsible on how we conduct ourselves. Life has to continue, but accepting the new normal is a sure way of staying safe. This will help football to return soon when everyone becomes more responsible, says John. Mohammed in the Gambia reflects on the economic consequences caused by the virus. For me, I've learned that the COVID-19 pandemic has affected economies worldwide due to the closure of some government parastatals, as well as some individual businesses. It also generates the need to remain healthy to reduce the risk of contracting the virus, says Mohammed. And Obina in Nigeria also brings an economic perspective. It has taught me the need to save for the rainy days, says Abina. Most people stayed without income during the lockdown but relied on their savings in order to keep body and soul together. The need to save money at all costs can never be overemphasized. Abdul Aziz Bojang is in the Gambia. Coronavirus is a very dangerous virus which we have never experienced before, says Abdul. It kills many people, keeps many people indoors and closes all borders. All footballers had to stop and even places for prayers are all closed. So that's a very big lesson for us all and the experience of any living human. I will pray that God may forgive us and bless us with long life and protect us from experiencing such troubles in the world, says Abdul. To Zambia now, and Moinga Mayambolwa says the coronavirus situation has helped me reflect on a number of things in life to get to know loved ones better and treasure life more as it is fragile. I'm very sure that when sport competitions resume after the corona cloud is behind us, the passion for the games from fans and sportsmen and women will be like never before. And finally, Patrick Wamlima in Malawi says... Personally, I have learnt to value family most, and that time spent with family is the most precious thing in life, and also that friendship is what makes us known. So, there you are, Steve. 
Wherever we are, we've all had to adjust quickly to this pandemic in these challenging and difficult times, but it seems we've also been able to learn some helpful and important lessons along the way. Well, absolutely, yes. Uh, for me, faith and family are things that I'm really appreciating right now, uh, like many other listeners. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks so much for all of those comments. Now, next Monday is the UEFA deadline for the European leagues to have finalised their plans for restarting their seasons. Uh, there are signs of progress in the English Premier League, but uh, probably, Stuart, the proposed 12th of June date won't work. Well, we're making progress slowly, but nothing is very clear. Players at most clubs are back in training, but not all at the same time. Generally, only five players at a time and social distancing applies. But Troy Deeney, the Watford captain, has become the latest big-name player to say that he will not be resuming training as he doesn't want to put the health of his family at risk. And he made a really interesting point, stressing that black and Asian men are four times as likely to get COVID and twice as likely to suffer long-term effects than the rest of the population. And he said that he thinks there needs to be additional health screening for people in that category. You know, I totally respect his decision, but I can't help wondering if players who choose not to play might also need to choose not to accept their wages while this is going on. And then on Tuesday, it emerged that one Watford player and two staff had tested positive, which really raises questions about whether Watford would be able to resume training fully and start playing games. I mean, this week in the UK, we've seen restrictions lifted. Golf courses and some other sports are now available. And I think it's likely to be the beginning of July at the earliest before we see any Premier League football. In fact, if we follow the German timetable of 40 days between start of training to start of play, that would be the 28th of June. So I think the beginning of July, if we don't have any more outbreaks, it's the earliest realistic time. Last weekend, Steve, the Bundesliga showed us that it is possible to play football without spectators. And I know you can prove anything by statistics, but there were a few interesting facts which emerged from the weekend's nine games. Firstly, only Dortmund, the league leaders, had a home win. There were five away wins and three draws. Does this mean that home advantage is much less when you don't have a crowd? Players were running exactly the same distance on average as before the lockdown. But interestingly, there were only an average of 29 attempted dribbles per game compared to 39 before the lockdown. As you know, five substitutes are now allowed and clubs took advantage of this with an average of 4.3 substitutes being used per game. Although interestingly, the average time for a substitute was 58 minutes, which is exactly the same as it was before lockdown. So there's no sense of players tiring early and uh, being substituted earlier. And there were a few notable African performances last weekend when Mainz drew two all with Köln. Their two goals were scored by Taiwo Iwani from Nigeria and Pierre Kunde from Cameroon. Theo Gebri Selassie scored for Vida Bremen. Now, while he is Czech, you won't be surprised to know that with a name like that, that his father is Ethiopian. And then there was Kevin Agpog-Uma, who scored in Hoffenheim's game against Herder Berlin. Sadly, it was an own goal. 
But Kevin is an interesting player because he was born in Germany with a Nigerian father. And while he's played for Germany at various age group levels, he has recently said that he would be open to playing for Nigeria if they wanted him. Interesting. Thanks, Stuart. A fascinating on those statistics on the dribbles in the Bundesliga with an empty stadium uh, suggests that maybe the players get encouragement from the fans to go on a run with the ball. Uh, we'll see if that continues. On the Bundesliga, from listeners, Musa K. Conte and the Gambia told us he enjoyed the games last weekend. And Olatunde Adeleke says, uh, yeah, at least uh, watching football again is something since February or March, even though it wasn't the English Premier League. But uh, I did enjoy it, uh, says Olatunde. And a Stuart raising another issue there, Watford striker Troy Deeney saying he won't return to training ahead of the planned Premier League restart for fears of infecting his five-month-old son with COVID-19 as his son has breathing difficulties which would put him at higher risk of serious illness. Also, Deeney highlighted that black, Asian and mixed-race people in the UK are four times more likely to get infected. So, if Deeney refuses to play, should he still get paid, along with other players who've voiced similar concerns you can go to our facebook page and post a comment there that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero what do you think should players be paid if they refuse to play in the covid19 era well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.